Lighting a candle is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. Four weeks ago, we began our journey toward Christmas as we lit the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope or prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy as you trust in him. So that you may be overflowing with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next, we lit the candle of love, which reminds us of God's sacrifice for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, so that the world may be saved through him. Then two weeks ago, we lit the third candle of Advent, the peace candle, which reminds us of our need for a Savior, one who can save us from our sins and restore us to peace with God. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And last week, we lit the candle of joy. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. When an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord surrounded them and they were terrified until the angel said, do not be afraid. I come to you with good news that will bring great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ is the only true hope, love, Peace and joy, both in this season and for all eternity. So as we've lit the Christ candle, celebrating the end of Advent and the arrival of Christ and Christmas, let us remember that once our Savior came to this earth as a lowly baby, that the world through him might be saved. And how he will come again in all of his glory. The true light, which brings light to everyone, had it was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, to everyone who believes in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or even by a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Well, Merry Christmas. And we're so glad you're here today. If you would, please, reach into your bulletin, take your study guide out, and uh, feel free to grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack in front of you as we jump into our discussion this morning. Today we're going to be talking, as we've seen already, the fifth candle of Advent, Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about the unstoppable coming King. The unstoppable coming King. Now, there's an interesting concept going on here with the unstoppable coming king. Because if you look down through history, you find time and time again that people tried to stop Jesus Christ. Time and time again, you find that people tried to eliminate the the chosen people of God. Time and time again, they tried and are still trying to eliminate Christians around the world. People are dying today for their faith. Time and time again, the Word of God was tried to be pushed out of society, burned, destroyed. They thought, we will eliminate it and it will be no more. But never is it more clearly seen that people tried to eliminate the person and the progress of Jesus Christ than in that very first Christmas and in fact throughout the life of Jesus Christ. You remember the story, right? Jesus, king of the world, God of the world, is born in a stable, laid in a manger. And yet in that beautiful, incredible, glorious story, there is a very dark and sinister plan at at work. Notice with me, if you've got your study guide, get ready to write, because number one, we're going to jump into it. Herod thought that he could stop him. Herod Herod thought to himself, King Herod thought that he could stop Jesus Christ from coming. Now you got to know what was going on because while the story itself that we're going to read looks really pretty, it looks like this this is everything a fairy tale is made out of, there is something much darker working behind the scene. You see the verses listed for you, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, excuse me, when it arose, and have come to worship him. Verse 3, notice this verse. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now let me pause for a second and just explain this part of it, because it bears a whole lot of weight on where we're going to take this thought from here. Herod was troubled. And why was Herod troubled? You have to know a little bit about Herod. He was a very devious, a very wicked, a very evil person that was also very, very skittish. He had his family killed because he was afraid they would try to take his place. So when he heard that there was a king born to rule over the Jewish people, he was petrified. He was scared. He was so psychotic that his thought was, how do I eliminate my competition? 
And because he was so skittish and because he was so afraid, the rest of Jerusalem and in fact the rest of his people, Israel, were also afraid. Because they knew, as crazy as he was, that he was out just to go out and start killing people trying to find this child. So the wise men came to him, and let's pick up reading now in verse 4. And assembling the chief priests and scribes together, we're talking about the king, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child and listen to what he's about to say. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. That I too may come and worship him. Certainly it seems that it's adding joy and excitement to the Christmas story. This little baby had been born. Maybe it had been a short period of time. Maybe it had been years now, two or three years. But regardless, Jesus Christ had come. He had been born and placed in a manger. And now the king is wanting to come and worship him. He's recognizing. And yet remember the sinister plan that was going on. Because in fact... Herod did not want to worship Jesus. What he was wanting was to find out where he was so that he could go and kill him. Now, it's not that Herod didn't know the rest of the story. It's not that Herod didn't have insight as to who this was that was being born. In fact, I believe personally that once... The scribes had told him about the birth of Jesus and where it would take place. That Herod met with the wise men. He gave them this false story. Go and find him. Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. And then he would have called the scribes back in. And he said, now tell me everything. I want to know everything because he considered Jesus to be his enemy. So tell me everything I need to know about him. Everything that the Bible, the Old Testament, the prophets have said about Jesus Christ, I want you to tell me everything. And so there is no doubt that he would have heard the prophecy that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which says, For unto us is a child born for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government of the peace there will be no end the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He would have heard the names of Jesus, that he was the Prince of Peace, that he was the Everlasting Father, that he was Mighty God. So then in his thought process, I will eliminate Jesus Christ, was for him to say, I will eliminate God himself. I have the power. I have the ability. I will destroy my competition. Herod had set himself up as God and found himself literally battling God Almighty. 
What a very scary place to be. And so it is true, King Herod thought that he could stop him. But you may also remember that the process does not stop there. In fact, there was later, 33 and a half years later, from the time Jesus was born, that another group of people determined that they could do the same thing, that they could stop Jesus. Maybe you remember the story. It was the religious leaders, number two. The religious leaders thought they could stop him. The religious leaders had this plan. And it's interesting because we would think religious leaders? Jesus, Jesus, God, religious leaders? No, they'll be working together. And yet that was not the case. The religious leaders were working against Jesus. You see, in the religious leaders' mind, they had seen him now do miracles that they could not do. They had seen him teach people with authority that they did not have. They had watched the crowds begin to follow him. They had watched people start to flock. In fact, one time the Pharisees said, the whole world has gone after him. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? So in their minds, they had lost their power. They had lost their position. They had lost their authority. And the only thing they could do to save face and to save their place in society was to eliminate their competition. It was the only thing they could do. They had to kill Jesus Christ. And they hatched a brilliant plan. It was wonderful by which they would take him at night so the crowds wouldn't see. And they would take him before a false and a mock trial. And they would, they would judge him there in that mock trial. Then take him before the, the, the ruler of the land, Pilate. We pick up the story with that thought. Matthew chapter 27 verses 22 through 26. Pilate said to them, And what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when... Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See you to it yourselves. And the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Bravus, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. It's an interesting scenario taking place here because the religious leaders thought that what they needed to do was eliminate their competition. And the only way to eliminate the competition was to kill him. And if you know anything about the continuing part of the story, you know that they took Jesus, and that they nailed him to a cross, and there they watched him die a very cruel death on the cross of Calvary. They took his lifeless body, they placed it in a tomb. There he lay, he was guarded so no one could steal his body and claim that he had come back to life. If there was ever a group throughout all of history that could claim we were successful, certainly it seemed in that moment that the religious leaders could do just that. Jesus was dead. But here's where our third thought comes in. 
The third thought is, despite that Herod thought he could stop Jesus, despite the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, thought that they could stop Jesus, they were wrong. Number three, they were wrong. They were absolutely wrong. They had missed it altogether. God had told Mary that this particular thing would take place, that the the angel would come to her and explain this. Luke chapter 1 verses 30 through 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And listen to this. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It seems to me like Herod, as, as curious as he was, as, as, as evil and, and, and conceited in his own imagination of, about his power and his authority, that he would have checked to verify all the facts. And that he would have gone to Mary and talked to her, or sent his messengers to find out what she had been told. And, he would have been told then that the angels have told us that, that Mary uh, is going to be the mother of God himself and that he will have reign forever and ever. In other words, Herod, you can't kill Jesus. And maybe you know the story that Herod in his imagination thought, if I wipe out my enemy, I've done away with him. There's no more concern and so he told the wise men, go and bring me word where he is. And the wise men came back and when, when they went to see Jesus, they got a message from God, from an angel in a dream that said, don't go back to Herod because his, his intent is not pure. Go a different way. And they left a different way. Herod eventually understood that he had been mocked, that they had, they had found him out, and they left him, went a different direction. And, and Herod decided, okay, you want to do it that way? Okay, well, let's just do it that way. And the Bible tells us that Herod sent his soldiers into Bethlehem and said, kill every child, every male child born from the time that the wise men saw the star until now. Can you imagine the hurt and the sorrow? And in the process of trying to eliminate them, what he failed to understand was that God knew his heart. God knew how wicked he was. God knew his, his thoughts and his plans even before he knew them. And so God had warned Joseph in a dream, take the child and his mother and go into Egypt and stay there until I tell you because Herod is seeking to kill him. Herod thought he had eliminated the competition, but he was wrong. And the religious leaders, you know, if they had just inquired a little bit from Mary to find out about who this person was and what she had heard from the angels, if they had compared that with Old Testament prophecy and Scripture, they could have easily seen that this wasn't just a passing fancy, that this was in fact the Son of God. But they thought, I've got to eliminate the competition. I've got to kill and destroy this person named Jesus because he's taking our influence. He's taking our power away. So they nailed him to a cross. 
placed his lifeless body in a tomb and they thought we have succeeded. But they were so wrong. They, they missed it completely. Because three days later, God breathed life into him and this lifeless body of Jesus came back to life. They were wrong. God had told Mary this thing through the words of the angels. And yet the Pharisees and Herod missed it. But now lest we end our discussion right here, we need to take note of one more example in the Word of God where we find that, that there is another group of people intent upon killing Jesus Christ. And it flows out of the, the title itself, in fact. It, the title of our study today is not the unstoppable king that came to a stable. But it's the unstoppable king that's coming. It's coming. Oh yeah, we're talking about the same king. We're still talking about Jesus. We're still talking about how he came to the stable, was laid in a manger, how he lived his life 33 and a half years later, died to pay the price of our sin on a cross of Calvary. This was all God's plan. God knew the heart of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and he allowed this to transpire. He, he knew what needed to be done. Jesus had to die. It was the only way for us to be forgiven. It's the only way. But isn't it interesting that God now even tells us about a coming time when Jesus Christ will return to this earth. The Bible says that he will leave heaven on a white horse. How that happens, our imagination will not allow us to understand that completely. Maybe your imagination is better than mine. I have a hard time seeing a horse riding down from heaven to the earth. In fact, a horse that's followed by many others. The Bible says that he'll be followed by the armies of heaven. They'll be following Jesus Christ to this earth where Jesus will be coming to set up his kingdom. But in the process of this, the Bible says that the great enemy of God and mankind, the devil himself, will go out and gather the armies of the world at a place called Megiddo where there will be a great battle prepared in Armageddon. Battle of Armageddon. The battle will be launched against Jesus Christ. The armies of the world will be there to destroy the competition, to eliminate Jesus. But the problem is, they forget once again that they're not dealing with another man, but that they are dealing with God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus will simply speak the word and his enemy will die before him. So what do we do with information like this? I mean, this isn't just a great story. This isn't just things that have happened in history and will take place in the future. This is something that is intended to cause us to stop and to think and to wonder. 
and to respond. So what do we do with this information? For those of us who know Jesus Christ, I think what we would do with the information is simply to say, God, thank you for your son. And for us to make our lives ready to see the unstoppable coming king. Because he is coming back. I don't believe it will be too long from now. Maybe, maybe years, maybe multiple years, maybe a hundred years. I don't know. But I can tell you from the way things look, it appears that it is going to be soon. So then we would take this information and we would say, God, draw me close to you. I confess my sin before you. Use me in this last hour. Use me in these last days to share the light of Jesus Christ with others. For others who may not know Christ as Savior, whether it's the first time you've heard about this today or you've heard about this your whole life, today you feel a drawing, something bringing you to the Savior. You feel a, a war going on inside of you right now. And what you would do with this information is simply to cry out to God. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And what does it mean to be a sinner? That we've rebelled against God. God has laid out His commandments from the very start for us. Don't lie, don't cheat. Keep God first. No other gods before Him. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And unfortunately, there's none of us that have kept those perfectly. And therefore, that rebellion against God, whether it be in small areas or big areas, is rebellion that separates us from God. It puts sin in our lives. And that sin demands a payment. It's required. Payment is death. For us, it's eternal death, eternal separation from God. And, and yet God in His incredible plan saw a time when He would put His only Son on the cross of Calvary. And He would allow Jesus to die on the cross to be the payment for my sin. What I owed for my rebellion against God, Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. So then I would take this information and I would say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've rebelled against you. And I believe Jesus died in my place. And that after he died, you put his life back in him three days later. God, please forgive me. Make me your child. So today, what you would do with the information is just to simply call on the name of the Lord. Now, if you'd like help with that, I can assure you that we would love nothing more than to be able to share with you God's Word and explain His plan maybe a little more thoroughly to you. So if you'd like to know more about it, then I'm going to invite you to do something with me in just a second. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. The instrumentalist will come. And, and Jason then will sing a, 
a song that's intended to be a song of invitation for you to respond to the message. If you want to know Christ as your Savior, then would you come and meet me here at the front? Just quietly step to the aisle that's closest to you. Meet me right here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call out your name. We're not asking you to join anything or give anything. We simply want to show you from the Bible God's plan of salvation. So this morning, would you come to the Savior? So what are you going to do with this information? What are you going to do with the information right now?